you would please open to Ephesians chapter 4. You can find it in the bulletin. Or you can turn in the Pew Bible to um, page 977. Or I guess you can look it up on your smartphone or whatever you do to open to the Bible. I'd be grateful if you do that. Ephesians chapter 4. This morning we're going to look at verses 7 to 16. If you would please stand. This is a reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray now that you'd be pleased to send your sovereign spirit powerfully upon us, the same spirit that moved your servant Paul to write these words May that same spirit now open our ears to hear these words, to believe, obey, Father, and rejoice for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, our upcoming anniversary celebration uh, on uh, the weekend of October 18th, I think it is, uh, or thereabouts, uh, we'll be celebrating 34 years at Metrocrest. I've mentioned this before, but I just marvel at that. 34 years our little church has been here in Carrollton, preaching the gospel, proclaiming God's saving word to the world. And I am, I am just so very, very grateful to be a tiny part of this decades-long ministry uh, here at Metrocrest. Uh, one thing we did recently, I, I, we, you'll be hearing much more about this, but uh, the session uh, with the support of the deacons uh, created the Paul Fowler Scholarship for Theological Education to honor Dr. Paul Fowler, who uh, was our interim pastor here many times and who helped see us through some really difficult challenges. Uh, we love Dr. Fowler. Many of you know him extremely well. And uh, he's, of course, he's related to John Fowler and, and the Fowler clan. Uh, we love Dr. Fowler, and so this is meant to be a way to honor him while also investing in this ongoing ministry 
of the church, training uh, students for theological work. So that, that's, uh, that's very exciting. Uh, part of my reflection on uh, 34 years has led me a couple of times to dig up the church records and go back and look at the church officers. Uh, Metrocrest has been blessed by 34 years of servants who have been called by the Lord and elected by you to serve and to help the church fulfill uh, its ministry. I've got that list here. I, I refer to it often. Uh, here I've got a list of all the ruling elders and all the deacons who have been elected uh, here at Metrocrest. Our first two elders were Hugh Comer and Tom Gilliam. Tom's a missionary in Ireland today, and Hugh Comer is a uh, an executive recently retired from Exxon who hired my son, actually. My son, William, uh, went to work at Exxon. He's at home listening with his wife and newborn baby. Uh, so Hugh has remained a part of our family, and we, we are very grateful for Hugh. Lo, these decades later, he's still involved in the life of people here at Metrocrest, still doing the work of the Lord. He's involved actively at a church in South Dallas. Um, they were our first two uh, elders I see other names here. Do you know who our most senior uh, elder who has been serving our church the longest in the elected office? Do you know which elder that is? Well, you actually heard him pray this morning. Uh, James Woods, who you heard pray this morning, was elected January 30th, 2000, 22 years ago. And he's still showing up on Sunday, still praying still bearing witness to Christ. Grateful for our ruling elders. We've got great at deacons as well. Our uh, first deacons included Alan Pond and Jerry Piles. You may remember those names, some of you who've been here a while. Uh, you know, our, our most senior deacon was Jeff Colvin. Jeff, some of you said goodbye to him last Sunday. He and his wife are moving to Oklahoma to be near their uh, son his, and his family. And we good, said goodbye to Jeff. Jeff was first elected on January 28, 2001, uh, the year after James was elected. And, and Jeff served the church over many, many years as a deacon and an active member of the men's ministry and other, other aspects of ministry here at Metrocrest. And there are other names here, uh, including Paul Hargrove, who's now an elder but began his ministry at Metrocrest as a deacon. Uh, down uh, Bill Greiser, who's here, one of our most senior deacons, uh, who's sitting next to his son Daniel, who is uh, one of our deacons as well. I look at this list of servants who have been called by the Lord, elected by you to serve the church, and it really does inspire me. Uh, we've had lots of challenges, including people who've served the church in leadership, but God has been faithful. He has brought good out of even the worst things. And uh, he's still doing it. And uh, that's been on my mind as I've been thinking about 34 years of God's dealings with Metrocrest Presbyterian Church. And I got to say, all that's in my head as I turn this morning with you to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, here, Paul is writing to another church that has also had some ups and downs, some twists and turns. You know, uh, Ephesians is one of those uh, churches that shows up in many places in the New Testament. It shows up in the book of Acts. There's a lengthy section dealing with Paul planting the church in Ephesus there in Acts chapter 19. And then at the very end of the Bible, uh, Ephesus is one of the seven churches mentioned 
uh, in the letters to the churches that the Lord Jesus gives us in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And Revelation chapter 2 begins with the resurrected Christ sending a letter to the church in Ephesus. And the resurrected Christ writing to this same church said, I know your works. I know what you are doing. I know your faithfulness, your perseverance and hardship. So it's really interesting to me to see this interesting story of a church that spans its founding in Acts 19 under the Apostle Paul to the recounting in Revelation 2 by the resurrected Christ of their work in ministry, their service. He had some things to say about things they'd forgotten, but he commended them for their work and and commented on it there at the beginning of his letters to all the churches in Revelation. Well, I'd like to think with you about the church's work. The Lord commends Ephesus for its work. Let's think for a moment about the church's work, not only because it'd be helpful to understand their work, but actually I think it might help us understand our work. Because the, the, the message that Paul has for the Ephesians through them is now God's message to Metrocrest. As we look at the beginning of a new year of ministry, the new year of work and service, uh, what is it that God is calling the church to do? What is God calling Metrocrest to do in this season for growth? Well, uh, just before I came into the service this morning, I met with the men who are training for office. We have a leaders training class that meets every Sunday from 9 to 10, and we have a great time. And we just started today reading a book called How Jesus Runs the Church. And I really commend this book very highly. I just found out from Michael Larimer, there's a sort of an abbreviated uh, version, a condensed version that's also available. Uh, I very, very highly commend this author, Guy Prentice Waters. He's actually a Presbyterian. Uh, He teaches at Reformed Seminary, I believe, in in Mississippi, or he was in Mississippi at at some point. But uh, a great writer and a great message, How Jesus Runs the Church. And chapter one, which your candidates for office reviewed with me today is what is the church? What is the church? And that's a great question. You know, I think part of the confusion in church life today is is people aren't clear on what the church is. What is the church? Why are we gathered here together today? Uh, There are all kinds of misunderstandings. I think One of the things we need to be very clear about very quickly is the church is not a theology club uh, for people who have this unusual uh, interest in theological debate. You know, sometimes church can feel a little bit like that. It just, we get more and more focused on more and more esoteric details and people start debating it and sometimes people start fighting about it. Sometimes people get really angry and break up over it. Well, the church is not a theology club. The church is not a theological debating society. Theology is very, very important to us. But we do not exist to debate theology. Now, the church has some work. Actually, Paul refers to it here throughout the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, If you look over at uh, uh, chapter Uh, One, sorry, chapter 3, verse 20, just a few verses back, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The way Paul's describing it, there's this work that we're a part of, and it's actually God working within us to bring glory to the Lord Jesus, to the church, in the church, throughout the generations. Important work, work that brings glory to Jesus. Work that will bring glory to Jesus in the church that we're a part of. Paul makes reference to the work in verse 12. He talks about the work of ministry. So what is this work of ministry? What is the church's work? Well, we know from Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 that the church was given a commission, a, a set of orders, a, an order, a set of orders to go into the world and proclaim the gospel, to teach the gospel, to teach what Jesus has commanded us. So the work of the church is to fulfill the work of Jesus. Uh, we are actually continuing Jesus' work. That's how the book of Acts begins. The book of Acts, which is a record of the apostolic church, actually begins by talking about the work that Jesus began and which they continue and which we continue here in the year of grace 2022. For 34 years, this has been the work of the church to, to go forward in mission. Uh, one of the things I love about our history here at Metrocrest is we've had the same motto for 34 years. Our motto is discovering God's love and sharing it with others. Discovering God's love and sharing it with others. Well, as we enter a new year, I really want to grab hold to that motto. In fact, I don't want it to be just a bumper sticker that we plaster on things but I'd really like it to be more and more and more what drives us what moves us what shapes our our whole church life it's it's about discovering God's love together and then sharing what we've discovered with the world sharing God's love the adult class is is doing this the adult class is going through the character of Jesus, and exploring the depth of his love and mercy, his, his gentleness and his lowliness. And as we discover more and more about that in classes and services and our gatherings, as we discover more and more about that, well, what we want to do then is to share that with other people. We want to share that with one another for sure, and then we want to share with those around us. And that is the work of the church. That is the work of the church that has been entrusted to the Ephesians and that has been entrusted to you and me. I recently heard a commentator make the point that it's not as though the church has a mission. It's closer to the truth to say that the mission has a church. You see, God has a purpose which he has made clear in his word. It is, it is to bless the world. He told Abraham that Abraham was being called in order to be a blessing. He was being blessed in order to bless others. And that runs right through the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we get it in bold letters. We get it in bold letters. It brings it and 
plops it right in the middle of our life together. This mission that has been entrusted to us. I'm, I'm glad that this Sunday, Max uh, stood up and announced our first mission trip. I don't, I don't know if this is our first ever or our first in many years. I'm not clear on that. Do you know, Max? First in a long time. First mission trip in a long time. Well, I can't tell you how exciting that is to me. Now, there's a lot of work to be done to get ready for our first mission trip in a long time. But I think that is so exciting to imagine our church here in Carrollton sending a group of people down to the Bahamas, which I've been there. I've been to see Julian's church. I've worshiped with him on the Lord's Day. I've seen the beauty of the islands. They are breathtakingly beautiful and surrounded by breathtaking sadness. Children and families growing up in unbelievable poverty in a society that is increasingly anti-gospel, just like ours is. And the wonderful thing about a mission trip, and this is really important to get straight, this is not just going somewhere and doing something for them. It is that. It is that. We, We will be assisting Julian Russell, a PCA church planter, plant a church there in um, the Bahamas. We will be doing that. But the thing about mission is when we go and help someone else do that, what actually happens to us is we are changed and we come back more open to mission, more open to serving the Lord. You know, we've done mission trips among our youth. Well, talk to our youth directors and they both have to be sitting one chair apart so it's real easy to talk to both of them you you get a decade worth of church history at Metcrest you know why we do mission trips for the youth of our church and we've been doing it for years yeah we want to go and help other people absolutely but one of the things that happens is the the young person who goes on a trip like this and a lot of them are sitting here they'll tell you what happens in their life is they are changed they, they come back with a, with a new understanding of mission, a new understanding of what it is to serve others in Christ's name. And so the purpose of this mission trip is not only to help our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas, but, but to help Metrocrest grow in our mission, in our work, because it's very, very, very important. And so Paul has written this whole letter to set the stage. He's, he's writing to a church that needed to understand mission. They needed to understand what they were being called to do. Yes, they were called to love each other, absolutely. And that was part of their mission because that kind of loving community is magnetic. A really loving community is the Lord's secret weapon in bringing people to himself. I mean, he could do it with celestial skywriting, couldn't he? He could write, come to Jesus. He could do it that way. Every once in a while he does things like that. He does really dramatic displays. But most of the time, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the way he works is by creating a human community that seeks to love each other, seeks to love love him, and then to love others in his name. And that's the important work of the church. I want that to always be the important work of Metrocrest going forward that we will always keep that as our focus. Now let's think for a moment about the church's workers. This is important. You know, we live in a a day of professionalization. 
Uh, if you ask someone who is the minister at Metrocrest, more than one or two might say Bill Lovell, because I'm the pastor here and my name shows up on a list or two in different places. Some might say the ministers are the elders and the deacons and the pastor. But you know who the ministers at Metrocrest Presbyterian Church are? You. You are the ministers. Now, I'm saying this because that's what Paul says. I mean, look at the way he begins Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The whole letter is written to the saints, right? Well, then look across the page. Uh, Look over to uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is talking about the saints for the work of ministry. In Paul's understanding, the saints are called to the work of ministry. You are called to the work of ministry. It's not a few people called to the work of ministry. It's all of us in Christ who are called to the work of ministry. I remember going not too long ago, a few years ago, uh, Jim Packer, J.I. Packer, who's a very famous evangelical author and was a friend to me and Leslie, I'm grateful to say, uh, was visiting Dallas. And I went to visit a, a big church And out in the lobby of the church, there was this big sign. And it said they were having a a church planting or a church growth conference. And here on this poster for the church growth conference, it said, breaking the 200 barrier. That's that's an expression in church growth circles. that, That 200 things tend to stall. And it takes some special organizing, some special strategies to break through that so that you can go on to mega church status, which, of course, we all know every church wants to be. And so there are conferences that people will pay thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars to go to to learn about how to break through that church uh, limit, that barrier of 200. Well, Dr. Packer, who was at that time in his, in his uh, mid-80s, gone to seminary decades and decades ago in the 50s, he said, you know, when I was in seminary, we were specifically told, taught by my professors that at 200, you're in danger of getting too big. He said, when you get to 200, you need to start thinking about planting a church. Because he said, when you get to 200, you start taking on passengers who are just riding along. So that's not church life. See, church life is not about being a passenger. It's about being a worker. It's about being a part of the work, helping the train get to where it's going. It's not sitting back and watching, looking out the window. It's about being a part of the work. It's amazing how church teaching has turned on a dime. Over just a few decades, we've gone to thinking that 200 is some awful, awful barrier that we've got to figure a way to get out of. And of course, in Dallas, we live in the capital of that kind of thinking. I mean, we're surrounded by megachurches. I'm grateful for megachurches. God can do whatever he wants to do. I'm grateful for megachurches. We've been the beneficiary of large churches. I, I, I love large churches. But I want to say that's not the way it's really supposed to be. That's not the, the way it's depicted in the New Testament. Now, God can, 
graciously, mercifully work that way, and he does. But the picture presented is not of this this mega church. The phrase I like to use is we're called to be a meta church. Meta, with, alongside. We're a meta church. Not mega, meta, M-E-T-A, a meta church, which means we're a group of people who know and love each other. We, we pray together. I mean, if you don't mind, just flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, look at the very end of chapter 4. This is at the conclusion of the chapter we're looking at today. Look at verse 32. He's writing again to all the saints in Ephesus. He says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That sounds a lot like the pictures we see in Acts chapter 2, the early church, the beginning of the church, when they would get together for Acts 2.46 suppers, except they called it church. And they'd get together and they would share fellowship, they would pray, they had studied the teaching of the apostles, it tells us in Acts 2. And they saw the ministry of the church expand and expand and expand. And I don't think, I don't think because of divine skywriting, you know why the church in Acts 2 grew and grew and grew? It's because they had become this magnetic community where people really loved each other and people really cared for each other. People really try to be kind to one another. They really try to be tenderhearted. They really try to forgive one another. So if you flip back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, that's the work of the ministry. That's what Paul's calling the church in Ephesus to do. That's what I believe he's calling us to do, to do that work. And you are the workers. You are the people who day by day, week by week, go out into the world. And when you go to your office or do you go to your school or you go to your uh, circle of friends, wherever it is you go, you go as a missionary of Jesus. You go with the same intention that we'll have when we send people to the Bahamas. You'll go with the same intention, which is to share the love of Jesus, to demonstrate it in word and in deed, the way you treat your co-workers will be the magnetic draw that will lead them to you over time, we hope and trust and believe and have seen in many instances. That magnetic quality of your life leads them here to this church where they will see a bunch of sinners who very, very imperfectly, and we acknowledge the imperfections, very, very, very imperfectly try to live that magnetic life here together. And that's how the church grows. It's this community of love. It's this community that's being transformed. That's the community that we're called to be. And that's not something you go to. That's something you are. So Paul's calling all of the church members to be church workers. Chapter 4 verse 1 talks about the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? It's to be that kind of magnetic personality is not learning tricks and figuring out manipulative techniques it's just being a caring loving person that the Lord uses to accomplish the work of the church through the church's workers the ministers 
who are you. Now, how does the, the Lord equip his church for this work? Does he just say, go and do it? I mean, that'd be a very unkind thing to do. Just go and do this hard thing. That is not what God has ever done. And it's not what the Lord Jesus has done for his church. And so Paul is telling us how Christ equips his church for this hard work. In fact, I think that's kind of the center section of this paragraph. Look what he says. Now he says in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us. So everybody has been given giftedness. Part of your being called to the work of the church and being a worker in the church is that you've been given grace. It's been given to all of us. It's been given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gives us the Holy Spirit and and, uh, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and brings us to the fellowship of the church. But then he goes on and he he talks about he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's interesting to picture that, that this, this host being led by Christ and he has given us gifts, this, this community of people following Christ. He, he descended, he ascended, he had, to, he had to descend to come to you and me and now he's leading us. And now notice what he says in verse 11. He's describing Christ. Christ gave what? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. To do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For what purpose? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And then notice how he describes mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the way that the Lord Jesus has equipped his church is not with a a 25-page document with a you know here are the plans of what you you do here's a strategy no the way he provides and equips his church is through people now, i read you a few names metrocrest has 19 ruling elders over 34 years and 23 deacons over 34 years he also has raised up team leaders active members of the church who've contributed to the work of the church. All of that is the way God is equipping his church to do the work the church has been called to do. Now, the list Paul gives us is extremely important. Notice he begins with the apostles and the prophets. It's interesting he puts the apostles first. The prophets in the Jewish context were the the greatest expression of God speaking to his people, teaching his people. But in Paul's list, the prophets, as great as they were, come second. Who comes first? The apostles. And what made someone an apostle was that they had met the resurrected Christ and had been taught by the resurrected Christ. And so Paul is saying that, first of all, Jesus equips you and me for our ministry by giving us 
the prophets and especially the apostles who learned directly from Jesus. Now the way you and I encounter the apostles and the prophets today is every time we open this book. And we do it every time we gather. Every time we gather at the middle of our services is God's word. It's spoken to us through the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus equips his church by giving us the scriptures, by giving us the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Thank God for the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. He gives us the evangelists. See, the only way anybody comes to Christ is someone has to share the evangel. Someone. Someone has to share the evangel. Maybe it's a friend or a loved one. Maybe it's someone who leaves a Gideon's Bible in a hotel room because that was something they could do. So someone had to put that Bible there. In God's amazing providence, he chooses to work through people. He could do it in all kinds of ways. Occasionally he does. But generally he works through people who share the gospel, the evangel. So one of the ways Jesus equips his church is he gives us the scriptures, he gives the apostles and prophets, and he gives us evangelists. Praise God for evangelists. If you're sitting here today, I will almost guarantee you, you can think of someone in your life who was the evangelist to you. Someone who loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Maybe it was your parents. The evangelistic ministry of parents cannot be overstated. Many, many Christian families are built around praying, Jesus-loving moms and dads who imperfectly teach their little ones about Jesus. In my family, in my life, my grandmother had a great role to play. My grandmother shared the love of Jesus with me that bore fruit many years later. I had a friend who shared the gospel with me. I bet you have a list of people, one or two or several people, who've had a role to play. And maybe you have an evangelist in mind, someone who had that role in your life. Well, praise God for that person. And let's think and pray about how you can be that person to someone else. What an amazing thought that you could be that person to someone else to tell them about Jesus. In word and in deed. It's not beating them overhead, over the head with, with a pamphlet or something, some strategy, technique you've learned. I've found that very seldom works. But you know what does work? And what I think probably is the most effective evangelism tool you have? It's your relationships with others. The word of God, which you just share organically, relationally. You don't beat up anybody with it. Some cases it may be hardly even noticeable, but it's there. So evangelists, that's how the Lord equips his church. Apostles, prophets, and evangelists. And then he says the shepherds and the teachers. Uh, That's an interesting phrase. It could be shepherds hyphen teachers. It could be pastors hyphen teachers. It could very well be that because the main purpose of a pastor is to teach. And the way you pastor most effectively is by bringing God's word to pastoral situations. That's what a really good Bible-prepared pastor will try to do is to take care of people by bringing the scripture to bear. 
Or it could be that these are two different categories of, of the, the, the leaders in the life of the church. And I, I actually tend to think more that. Why do I think that? Because, you know, the one thing Ephesians is unique in the book of Acts about. Uh, in fact, let me just get you to flip back a few pages because I find this so interesting. If you flip back to Acts uh, to chapter 20, the very end of Acts chapter 20 tells the story of Paul as he says goodbye to the church in Ephesus. And you know what's described here? Is he says goodbye to the church in Ephesus that he loves so much, the very church he's writing this letter to, is he gets together and it's the elders who gather around him. The church leaders. Wasn't just a one pastor teacher. Wasn't even just a group of professional clergy or something. It was, it was these leaders of the church. They gathered around him. And he told them he was getting ready to leave. And once more, he told them he probably would never see them again. Flip over to the very end of the chapter. Look over to verse 36. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Not as passengers, but as fellow workers. They accompanied Paul, their evangelist, the founding of, founder of their church, who'd had this unique role in their life together. And they walked with him to the, church, to the ship as he set sail to take the gospel where he was being called to go. And ultimately to go to Rome where he would suffer and die. And he literally did not see them again. Um, the way the Lord Jesus equips his church, that was true then, it's true now, is he equips his church through people, through the apostles and prophets, through the evangelists, and through all those who pastor and teach, who share God's word. And what is the purpose of all this sharing and loving and caring? What is it all intended to do? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 4 one last time, and I'll close with this. Look at what Paul describes. He says, verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the, the apostles and the prophets are the, the bulwark against this false doctrine. The proclamation of God's word is the bulwark against these, uh, these uh, things of human cunning and craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, he says, notice this community of love, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see this picture of what Paul's describing? It's this loving magnetic community which is being built as the word of God is brought into the life of the community as we're being taught, as we're being, as we're being taught in word and deed and that works within us to transform us 
to look more and more like Jesus and the community becomes more and more magnetic as the Holy Spirit does the work the Holy Spirit does as he draws people to Christ. And that's how this engine works. That's how this engine works. That's how the church grows, how it's built up. That does not exclude suffering. Paul knew a lot about suffering. It does not include perfectionism. We're a bunch of sinners. The church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, the Lord had strong words to critique that church. So it's not a a kind of perfection that we imagine. No, the engine is simply people being taught and transformed by Jesus. The Holy Spirit drawing us to Jesus. Well, that's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for me and my family. It's my prayer for you and your family. That's my prayer for all of us as we begin another year of grace and mercy.